0: You had a dad who could hear music, but wasn't necessarily into playing anything, only listening to it. And then you had a mother who was basically tone deaf with music. (laughs) So what's your first memory of sort of clicking in? Not so much as I want to do music, but just, oh, music is a cool thing. I like how it makes me feel.
1: Yeah, I think like the first memory, I was like three years old. And it was a Diamond Rio song. It's called Meet in the Middle. And I like wore out the tape cassette because back then, like pickup trucks had you put the tape cassette in. And my dad's like, you made me play that song over and over and over again. Uh, and that was my favorite. It was a country song. Uh, so that was like, yeah, three years old. And I was like, I love music.
0: Where were your grandparents in this? Because I saw somewhere, I think that your grandparents were more the musical ones.
1: Yeah, like, my on my mom's side, my grandma plays, like, the accordion in a band, and so she's obviously good at music, and then on my dad's side, I wasn't close to my dad's side, parent-wise, um, I think I met my grandpa, like, three times, but apparently he loved karaoke, like, okay. he was a really good singer, um, so maybe it's somewhere in the blood, I have it, it just, I guess, skipped a generation,
0: And so when you were three, were you singing along at that point or just listening?
1: Well, here's the thing. I had an older sister. She didn't like me that much. I was the annoying younger sister, (laughs) who, you know, got, you know, how older sisters can be. So um, I like remember, and I don't know what age I was, but I was like, I love this song. And she's like, what are all the lyrics? And I was like, um, and I sung like one line and she's like, you only know one line and you love the song, like one of those things. And I was like, from that day on, I was like, I need to know every single lyric from every single song. (laughs) And she can never tell me that I don't love a song again. So shout out to my sister for
0: pushing my buttons. And so since your mom didn't really listen to music and your dad played the country was country music, what you grew up on then for the most part.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, I grew up very country. I was in like 4-H and Junior Farmers and um, Queen of the... No, I was Princess of the Furrow, which is oh, a plowing. Okay. And then my sister was the queen. Um, so I always was around country music. And then my sister went through her rap R&B phase as... You know, you grow up and you're like, I'm not going to listen to anything but this. Yeah. Um, But yeah, it was a lot of country. And then like my mom would put on the odd macaroni plays the mamba, listen to the radio, like random rock songs.
0: And piano was the first instrument you learned, right?
1: Yeah, I was like eight. Um, And I started piano lessons because my mom's like, you have piano fingers. My grandma's like, put her in piano. I did not like piano. I didn't like it. No, um, Because you had to read the music and then you had to do one thing with one hand. And I love saying that you had to do one thing with one hand and one with the other because that's exactly what guitar is. Right, it's yeah. one thing with one hand. But like for me, piano, it just never clicked. I can play chords and everything. Like I get by on piano, but like, yeah, it wasn't my true love and I quit.
0: So at 13, when you started writing, what was the motivation behind that? Like, was it just one day you started writing, you, you got that energy or is it something that from a young age, you've always sort of had that in your mind and always worked with words and and not so much writing them down, but just having them in your head.
1: I think it's always been a thing I like, like words just pop in and I'll always, I'm like, I'm that person that you'll say a word in a conversation. I'll be like a song and I'll just be like, Oh, like if you were like, Oh, I I love Chicken. i will be like, I know I am like my chicken fried. Um, and people are like, you do that all the time. So I think like growing up, I always like broke out into song. And then I just started wanting to write songs. Cause I remember being like, there's no song that's saying exactly what I want to say right now. Right. So I'm going to go write it and I'm going to be Hannah Montana and I'm going to do all these things. And back then I thought like artists wrote every song they put out. I didn't realize there's a difference between a songwriter and an artist. So I was just like, I love writing music and I'm going to do it. Uh, But it was just for fun. It was just a good old time.
0: (laughs) And so your first song was at 13. And I read that it was like about reaching for your dreams and achieving your goals and a lot different than it is now. And I think you can still sing a bit of it, can't you?
1: Yeah, it's like... um... It's like i'll throw the torch out to the sky really do whatever it's only me myself and i i thought i was independent i was like the least independent <laughs> child you've ever met i need i need my mom too much it's an issue <laughs> but
0: yeah that's and then that 14 was 14 was the guitar right when you started picking that up yeah And what was this? Where are you getting
1: this information from, man?
0: Oh, I just love the internet.
1: (laughs) Should I be worried? What do people know about me? Um, Oh, just
0: wait. (laughs) Oh, great. Um, two
1: thousand nine, August. I picked up guitar, um, because that's how I thought you had to write music. I like begged my parents, uh, because I'd quit karate and I quit piano and they're like, well, if we buy you a guitar, you're just going to quit that too. And blah right. blah. And I think it was the best thing they could have done for me because I'm very much a, if you tell me I can't, I will person. But if you tell me I have to, I won't. Right. I don't know why I'm th- like that. I hate it. But um, they're just like, yeah, you'll quit. Like there's no point of buying you a guitar. And then I didn't. I was playing like this beat up guitar that my mom had from her dad. It was her dad's guitar um and yeah it sounded awful i could barely form a d and like an e minor but i was learning chords on the internet and then finally they broke down and got me lessons and the rest is history. I wanted to be like Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift wrote with a guitar, so I had to.
0: Right. Yeah, exactly. And growing up in Uxbridge, just outside of Toronto, um, I've heard you say it's a very musical place. Like there's music always happening in pubs and bars and coffee shops. So growing up, were you sort of a part of that? Like not in the bars, obviously, but just the little musical things around town. Were you always a part of that stuff?
1: Yeah, like my parents put me in musical theater when I was younger, and I was always like the extra, extra, extra. Like I I never really had a big part ever, Uh, but that's fine. Look at me now. Mm. Um, But yeah, so I was always in musical theater. And then when I was like 16, like the high school would put on open mic nights. And then if I go to a bar, my dad would drink and I would eat and then I'd play. So um, yeah, it was great. They always had festivals going on uxbridge supports live music like it's in, it's insane every night of the week there's probably live music somewhere that you can go to
0: so if you had grown up somewhere else say in toronto where it's a bigger city and maybe you didn't have access to that do you think things would have turned out differently
1: I have no idea. I mean, I guess that's life. The what ifs. Yeah. Um, like my dad was always super supportive because I lived in the country. So my parents had to like drive me to town and drive me to open mic nights. So I bet in Toronto, they would have done the same. But I don't know. I can't even imagine growing up in a city, let alone if it would affect my music or not. <laughs> maybe I would have started younger. Maybe I would have started older. But I, I mean, I love music, so I was going to do it anyway.
0: Right. And talk about through high school and what music meant to you and leaving high school, the big part that it played in your life at that point.
1: High school. I was in like the school band. I played the flute and the piccolo and anything. Um, But I was very like, I'm doing, I'm going to be a scientist. I'm going to be an accountant. I loved math and science. I wanted to be a marine biologist. I wanted to save the sharks and life just has different paths for you sometimes i got sick at the end of high school um i got diagnosed with type 1 diabetes in my grade 12 year um during exam season in the first semester and then i was really obviously depressed i got diagnosed with a chronic illness so um my grades slipped a bit and then i didn't get into the biology things and i was like well schnauzer cow now what so i was sad for a bit and then um I went traveling and then I busked for money. Like I lived in a van and music oh, yeah. was the only way to make money. If I wanted, you know, extra food, I could just play music for a couple hours on the street and boom. So that kind of made me fall in love with music again. that's when I was 19 and I came home and I just kind of was like, screw it. I'm going to work as a waitress and every paycheck is just going to go towards music.
0: Were you literally living out of a van? Like where were you living for that period? <laughs> um,
1: So like after high school, I stayed home for a year and I worked at a pet store because I love animals. And then I moved to New Zealand and I worked as an au pair. So that's like a foreign nanny. And I took care of kids for six months. Safe to say, I don't want to have that job ever again. Um, And then I met a stranger on like Facebook who was like, I need someone to live in a van with me. And I said, and I was in New Zealand for like two more months because my plane ticket so yeah, I just moved into a van with a stranger from England, and she was lovely. And wow, that's that's how life, that's how the cookie crumbled for me. And I'm here to tell the truth, and or here to tell the story. That's it. Yeah,
0: exactly. And so when you got back, then if you didn't have music to kind of get you moving again, did you have another option at that point, or did you come back really focused on the music?
1: I came back really focused on the music. Um, I came home and I was home for like four months until I found like a waitressing job in my small town. I got, I worked at like a wild wing kind of joint and then I worked and then I left that place after a year and went to a pub and worked there for like three years. So I had been a waitress for a while. If I didn't have music, I think I would have just become a hippie and like went from beach town to beach town. Right. But Yeah, I wanted to come home. And if I didn't have diabetes, I probably would have been a hippie too. Now that I'm experienced with the disease, I'm like, yeah, I could totally be a hippie, but I got music. And if I can, you know, tour and play music, then I'm living the literal dream. I'll travel around and play music. And that's what I would have done if I didn't get signed and stuff.
0: That's right. And so in 2013, you were 18 years old. And you went to Edmonton to play Country Music Week. Was that before you left for that whole trip to New Zealand or was that after you got back?
1: I was 19 when I went to New Zealand. So, yeah, that was before I went.
0: So, how did that all come about?
1: Um, I just like was, you know, loved country music and I was a part of the whole shebang. And so I applied to play in like the Diamonds and the Rough Showcase at the CCMAs and I got in. So, we just kind of flew out and played and that was my first ccma
0: and so after that like i would think that experience might kind of light a spark and kind of you know give you motivation to move forward with it but then you leave and you go to travel so what was your feeling when you got to play that it wasn't like okay now i want to try and do this in the canadian scene
1: no i think i was 18 i was super sad um I don't know. I just wasn't happy. So I thought, why don't I get a change of scenery? And that's why I went. And then I went to New Zealand pretty much like at, in the next year. And I, yeah, I think I just needed to grow as a person and the thought of just going all in. Cause I had recorded music back then that you'll never hear. Um, <laughs> unless you found it somewhere on the internet because you never know with you, Brendan. You yeah.
0: Know. No, I don't think I was able to, unfortunately.
1: <laughs> um. But yeah, so I did like record music when I was like between 17 and 18 and I got to the Diamonds in the Rough. But no, it was just like one of those things you don't you never think you can make or at least I didn't think you can make a career in music. Right. Again, none of my family does that. We're all like my mom was an EA and my dad's a truck driver. Like you do steady jobs and you make steady income and you make a life. And then so. I don't know, you just you don't no. Nobody I knew was a singer songwriter who was making a career out of it. Right. Um, so then, yeah, I just went to New Zealand and I was like, I'll just travel and be free. Right. And, and it kind of, I don't know, kind of got me back to who I was. And then I was like, wow, I really want to come home. And then when I came home, I was like, Uxbridge is the best and music is everything <laughs> here. And I was very happy to be able to do it.
0: And it's funny, you mentioned recording music back in 2013 before you left. And I wasn't able to find the music, but just looking at my notes here, funny enough, I have that looking through your social media in October of 2013, you had a studio selfie on your Instagram. So I was going to ask you if you were recording music back then, but you already answered that question. So
1: yeah, I was. People were writing music in like my hometown and they were just looking for like a demo singer. And my neighbor was like, I know a girl who can sing. Um, and then they were like, do you write music? And then I showed them some songs I had written. Cause they were like, your songs are kind of better than our songs. Like, do you want to record your songs instead? And I was like, sure. Um, and they were great. Their names were Jim Nolan and Mike Lever. And they, they did like make me feel like, yeah, I could do music for a career. Right. Um, but you know, you know how sadness works, and then yep, I needed a change of scenery. You know, sometimes you just, life just throws things at you.
0: It does exactly, and so you get back. and In 2016, first of all, before Boots and Hearts, I want to talk about Pons music. Now, was that a <laughs> band that you were in, or what was that project? I couldn't really figure it out from looking online.
1: Pawns was a rock band of people from Oxbridge. Like, Uxbridge, again, very musical. So, like, bands will pop up here and there. And it's, like, the same people in every band, but it's, like, a new band. <laughs> right. Um, so, yeah, I was, like, the female singer in that band. We did, like, a whole album, uh, shot a music video, but then one of the guys got a girlfriend. And do you know how that happens? <laughs> right. And then, yeah. So, the band the band broke up and that's fine. I, I wasn't a huge fan of singing rock music, and the lead vocalist had, like, a very loud voice, and I oh, have okay. a very conversational voice, so my dad was pissed, because he's like, I can't even hear you, and turn your volume up, and tell him to sing quieter, so it was, it was just, uh, what is it? A good reason not, or, like, um, you know when it's, like, that's why you don't do rock music. That's why you should keep doing country music.
0: Right. Yeah. It was like
1: a redirectional thing. I tried something. No, it doesn't work for me. And now I'm like, good to stick with country.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so that year as well in 2016, you were the second runner up in the Boots and Hearts Emerging Artist Showcase. So I was what... actually
1: third. Everyone third? thinks I'm second though. Well, and I'll that's take what it, it says
0: online. They're lying to me. Everything's <sighs> true online. I know. What, what is going on?
1: Trust me. Yeah. Every interviewer is like, you got second. And I'm like, no, I'm actually third. Well, the, um,
0: but the second runner up, that would be third. Second right? runner up. You yeah. have the winner and then you have, yeah, the first runner up and the second runner up. So, okay.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Then you're right. I'm second yeah. runner up.
0: I, I'm right. Sorry. Come on. Jeez. Shoot. Thinking i That's wrong. actually
1: a funny story, though. So, like the boots and hearts thing, you apply and then it gets down to like um, the top 10 or top eight. Yeah. And then it's like voting. So it's fan base. You vote. Whoever gets the most votes gets like the latest time slot, like later in the afternoon so that more people would be there kind of thing. Right. And I got the least amount of votes because who freaking knows Robin Ottolini? Nobody. Um, And then so I played first. I was supposed to play at noon, but then the gates hadn't even opened at noon. So like nobody was there. And they're like, we're gonna push it back 15 minutes. Like it's super unfair. And I'm so glad they did because Uxbridge is a country music town. And pretty much everybody I know from high school goes to Boots and Hearts. So at like 1215 on a Saturday at Boots and Hearts, there was like, it was so packed for me. And the judges were like, who is this girl? And why are all these people here to see her at 1215 on a Saturday at a music festival? So I was like, yes, Uxbridge in my hometown. Um, and it was great. Problem with going first is I didn't realize that, like, usually they just pick a winner, done. No, they picked three finalists, but I was done three hours ago. How many fireball oh shots did I do? <laughs> Too many, Brendan. Too many fireball shots. I look back and I shake my head at my past self. I'm like, why didn't you just wait? but no my friends were stoked they're like you just played boots and hearts let's get drunk and i was like (laughs) um and then so i had to go back on stage and perform i don't remember which is so unfortunate i didn't have shoes on my boyfriend at the times family the f-150 guy his mom had taken my guitar and my shoes back to the camp and i was wearing like flip-flops um like everybody had left all my friends had kind of left they're like yeah sick like and then I, yeah, and then all of a sudden somebody taps me on my shoulder, yo, like you're, you're, you're in the finals, you got to get up stage, you got to play another song. And I was like, oh no, oh no, 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 no. Um, and I had, I had a band before and my band all left, they had another gig. So I was like, I got to play guitar. <laughs> oh, I don't man. know what song to play. I have no shoes on. And I even said that in the mic. I was like, I didn't know this was a thing. Mom, are you still here? And I hear, <laughs> yeah, honey. And I was like, okay. And I was just like, I'm so sorry, everybody. Um, wow. And then I played Portland, Maine by Donovan Woods and messed up a lot. But that's life. And I've learned to just wait until the thing is over.
0: There you go. Before you
1: drink the alcohol. I learned yeah. my lesson. I still got here. That's all that matters.
0: And so that experience you say with the 2013 and going to Canadian country music week, you know, it didn't really necessarily spark anything in you to say, Oh yeah, I can do this. But did this experience do that for you?
1: I think so. And I, I love, it. I think so. <laughs> well, it was just like, I think when I came home from New Zealand, I already had the itch. I was like, I want to be a musician. I'm, I want to play everything I can. And then when I got into boots and hearts, it's like, yeah, I'm like doing the thing I'm doing it. And then, so I think it was just like more snow to add to the snowball. It wasn't the spark, but it definitely kept the flame lit.
0: So before you release an album, October, 2018 at the Rockin' horse, you play your first show as a band. So at that point you formed yourself a band. So were those all local players that you got to play with you? And is it the same band now?
1: Rockin' Horse, I had one single out, I believe, called Where We're At. Right. Am I right?
0: I believe so, so. yes.
1: I had started, I guess it was April, I'd started working with Mark Schroer and Eric Fentelman because I love songwriting. Now, how did you
0: get connected to them?
1: Instagram.
0: Oh, nice.
1: Yeah, I, I had met with other producers. And I don't know, I'm like a huge trust your gut if something doesn't feel right. Just run away you don't have to explain yourself right and i worked with these who i'm friends with i love them but i was like this just doesn't feel like what it's supposed to so then i messaged mark on instagram i said hey um i know you don't know me from adam i'm a songwriter i want to record some music how much um and do you want to hear it and he's like sure like these are my prices i work out of here Uh, Send me some songs and I sent him like 20 songs and he's like, who the heck is this person? Right. Uh, And he loved it. He thought I was hilarious. He thought I was ballsy. Um, And he was like, I totally can get behind this. And then he's like, my friend, Eric, actually, we're going to start producing together. I showed him your stuff and he loves it and he thinks you're great and funny. And I was just like sick. So we kind of sat down, chose the songs from the first CP And we went with where we're at as like the opening single of this new music that
0: is me. That's awesome. So your first time playing was October, 2018. And then you released, well you released where you're at before that. And then the beginning of 2019, you dropped your first EP. Now along, you know, all the way along having this journey at that point, How did that feel? Was that like the nail in the coffin of, okay, I'm on the way. This is what I'm doing.
1: Pretty much. I released that EP independently, of course. No management, just me. I had no idea what I was doing. Uh, This is a perfect example is you don't have to be perfect. Just do it kind of thing. Because I think a lot of people get held back by I want my first single to be perfect. I want my first EP to be perfect. Screw it. You're never going to be perfect. Just put something out for frick's sake and right. you can get more perfect as you go. So I released it. The release show was at the Second Wedge um, Brewery, which is in my hometown, and it was February, and we packed it. It was complete capacity. There was a lineup out the door, um, which was crazy. And that's, I think, the moment. I was like, all these people think I can do it. A room of 90 people came to see me play songs. Um I'm slowly getting better at performing, but yeah, it was nerve-wracking, but I was like, yeah, this is it, this is me.
0: What was the feeling with that EP because you didn't hold on to it very long before you started releasing more, right? Because you released F150 just just a little less than a year later. So were yeah. you focused on really being able to get more out there right away?
1: I think like the feeling of putting music out, was like addicting and after a month goes or like even like the day it's released i'm like when are we starting the next song right um, and the poor guys are, are, you, are you sure you want to start now i said let's get right back in and we released a song called good shit in october 2019
0: right yeah so
1: how many months is that eight months after Yep. um and yeah it was just like an addicting feeling and i love songwriting so it's like it's not like there's any shortage of songs. I can just keep putting things out. My mouth will keep running, <laughs> it'll keep coming. Um, so I think Mark, Mark's sediment was like the more music you put out, the more your story is being told. Like with each release, somebody's going to notice you a bit more. Right. Like the snowball will keep going. So that was always like, yeah, if we're going to make people listen, we don't want to give them four songs and then they forget about me. So let's just keep doing songs.
0: <laughs> February 2020, you release the new EP, and then February 17th, you have the CD release show at the Rock and Horse again, and then basically a month later the world shuts down. And so where were you at at that point in your mindset of being an artist and where you wanted to go? And what that stoppage meant for you, considering you had just released that EP.
1: Yeah, so January 2020, Mark and Eric, my longtime producers at this point, were like, Robs, we believe in you like we believe in nothing else. Like, we're full in. We want to manage you. We want to help you become like a household name kind of thing. Right. They're like, we know we're just a couple kids just like you. But like, we'll fight for you harder than anybody else will. I'm their first person they've ever managed. Um, Also, they're like best friends since high school. So like they're tight. Um, Right. And then so January and they kind of helped with the whole game plan. Like, how are we going to roll these songs out? How are we going to make the content for them? How are we going to tell the story? Because I was a waitress or actually at this point I was a barista. So I was, I had very small amount of money. So what we had to do was just be creative with what we had, which is an iPhone and recording stuff, and we just kind of told the story the best we could, and the rollout was awesome. The reaction to these songs, the reaction to F-150 alone, like that was the first one I dropped off the EP, and it was just insane. I was, I had, I think it was, forget, it was either, I think it was like 10,000 streams in, in a day Right. Which, like, for an independent artist with no playlist, like, okay, I'll just go disappear for a second. Um, <clears throat> I'm probably lying. It was probably, like, 10,000 streams. But I just kind of knew, like, oh, yeah, we're, we're snowballing. Like, this is it. Mark was booking me shows left, right, and center. He's, like, put my name in every door he can. Um, and then the world shut down. You're right. So I am... <clears throat> I'm very sensitive, we can say, i will say I'm sensitive. <laughs> so I was like, there's people dying. I don't feel okay promoting anything. Um, I wanna lie in my bed all day, I'm depressed. And Mark was like, oh, okay, yeah. He's like, how long do you think you're, how long till you think you bounce back? I was like, there's no timeline. He's like, in a week, I want you to maybe just like write a song, like do something. Right. Um, and he kind of was just like, just keep going. Like, yeah, it's unprecedented times. We don't know what the future holds, but why stop? Like people need music, Robin. It's never not going to just because like the world shut down doesn't mean people don't need music. If anything, they need it more. So then I was like, OK, you know, like you're right. I'm going to suck it up, pull on my pants and and write music. And I did that. This was the first time in my life with music that I wasn't working a part time job as like a server or something. Right. So it was the first time, like, I can dedicate a whole day to writing songs and making content. Um, and that was kind of fun. I was getting paid by the government with CERB. And for the first time in my life, I was just getting paid to do music. And I was like, holy crap, this is fantastic. And so I was just looking for ways to tell the story of F-150. Keep it going. Keep um, people talking about it months after. And then TikTok obviously showed up. Yeah. And my boyfriend loved TikTok and we always watched it together. Um and I didn't realize people were like posting music on there. I didn't realize people could blow up. Right. And then in the summer my neighbor was like, "Hey, I see like people share their music on TikTok. Have you ever thought about that?" I was like, mm, "It seems kind of odd." And he's like, "Yeah, I mean, if you want to do it." And then I did and like the first music video I posted blew up and I was like, "Oh, Schnauzer." Yeah. Um And then from then on i just kind of kept sharing and kept telling the story and looked for interesting parts in each song to like make a trend with so yeah even in dark times like adaptable is definitely something i will call myself
0: let's talk about sort of the flip side of you know the positive of having your song go viral now i noticed you just posted a video on your instagram um maybe even yesterday basically saying, I have other songs. Hi, the <laughs> F-150 is not my only song. And so since F-150 has gone viral, mentally, what has it been like for you in grappling with f 150s the big song? You don't want to turn your back on it, but I'm an artist. I'm not a one-trick pony. That's not all I am. I have other music. So did that take you some time to mentally kind of form around that or even have have you yet have you figured out how to handle that
1: Uh, that's a great question
0: i'm going to think about this because
1: i always say i don't want to be known as a one-trick pony that's like my biggest fear is people think that all i write is breakup songs yeah um and but if you do all you write breakup songs like go for it do you but like for me I love writing music and it incorporates every part of my life. So I never want to be known as like that one girl who did that one song. Uh, but at the same time, F-150 is my story. It is a huge part of me. And I've always loved that song since the day I wrote it. I said like, this is the song. Um, so like, I, I love that she's doing great and I'm proud of her. And if that's like the way that I get my foot in the door, I'm happy as a bee. And the coolest part is there is so many people who actually do listen to my other songs. It's just, I got, I got a comment being like, I had posted a different song and you're like, somebody's like, you have more songs than F-150. I was like, (laughs) (laughs) buckle up, buddy. (laughs) So that's kind of, that's what inspired those videos. But I, yeah, I don't know. I have more music coming. I'm I'm just stoked to be an artist. And if people do just listen to the one song, that's okay with me too. You do you, I'll do me. We're going to live our best lives.
0: And so Warner comes to the door. How did that happen? How did that all come about in, in them contacting you? Was it basically as simple as them reaching out and saying, we want to sign you? Or was it Mark reaching out to people and getting feelers? How did it all come about?
1: so um my streams kind of went through the roof and i guess there's radars at labels and you know anr and researchers so it ticked off actually like around 10 labels reached out to me oh really yeah it was the overwhelming um so i i met with them all and then i i put it down to three and then met with them and just kind of like dug a bit deeper and then eventually, like I said before, I'm a gut person. I, I don't, like it's not about the money. It's about who's gonna let me do what I really wanna do. Yeah. And Warner Music just kind of, the first thing Espo said, he's the head of Warner. He was like, I've never signed a person with a song called Fuck boy before. And if I don't get to do it soon, I might just like, he's like, I need to be able to say that in my career <laughs> that I signed a girl who has a song called Fuck Boy. Um, and that made my people laugh. And then A&R, Chris Lacey at Warner was, um, she actually could hear how the guys produced the song. They were like, she was like, it sounds like it's your voice. And there's like, the instruments are like following your voice. And that's how we record. They'll like do the bare minimum, I'll sing, and then they will build the whole production around my voice. Oh, okay. So the fact that she could pick that out, I was like, okay, these are these are the right people.
0: <laughs> <laughs> How did it make you feel being Canadian that it wasn't Warner Music Canada that you were signing with? It was Warner Music Nashville.
1: That's the craziest thing. No Canadian label reached out to me. Really? It was all American labels. Which like, and then after, like I think one or two reached out, but like even after I signed, I was just like, yeah, Canada. Well, America and Canada kind of found me at the same time. So it was just like America, they all came at me. So that was great.
0: (laughs) And I saw a quote from another interview and you said you had always, you know, dreamt of going to Nashville, but if you were going to go, you wanted to be invited there. You didn't want to just move there. And so one of the funny things I was talking to Tim Hicks and he had mentioned one of his first times going down to Nashville, he was in a, yeah, in a cab. And the driver asked him if he had met anybody while he was in Nashville. And, and Tim said, well, like any famous people or what do you mean? And the cab driver said, no, like anyone in the industry. And Tim said, well, yeah, I, I was invited down here. And the cabbie said, oh, you've already made it then. You know, if you're invited down here, you've made it. And so do you feel like that?
1: I mean, I don't think I've made it. Uh, I well, think not, not I was so,
0: not so much, <laughs> oh. made it, but just um, in a way of, you know, you're, you're, as long as you work hard, you're a part of the clan now, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, I hope so, especially cause I'm still in Canada. I haven't even like been to Nashville after being signed. Yeah. Um, but like every time I get in a zoom, right. With people in Nashville, they're like, Oh yeah, you were the talk of the town. And like, everybody here knows who you are. And I'm just like, what? Like that part. it <laughs> So I'm scared to go down because I'm like, what if they were lying and nobody actually knows who I am and and nobody knows me, but at least I'll have my like Warner, you know? Yeah. But but, yeah, I always said I just, yeah, I wanted to be invited. I think it's a huge move to get a visa and go to a different country. And I always thought like, is that the wisest thing I could do with my money? Like, why don't I live at home for free, make bomb a music up here in Canada? Because I'm sure there's talented people up here too. And then if Nashville ever knocks on my door, great. Perfect. (laughs) But yeah, I never saw moving there being like, you have to move to Nashville to make it. No, you have to be a good songwriter to make it. So yeah,
0: for sure. Is that
1: pretentious? No,
0: no, not at all. And like pretty much everyone says that once you're signed, that's when the work starts. It's not like you're mm-hmm. just going to sit back and say, "Oh, I'm signed, I've made it." That's when you have to work even harder, right?
1: I always get confused by people who are like, "Well, if I just got a record deal, then they could like you know, a, a record deal and then they'd launch me." And I'm like, "No, honey, you got to launch yourself. You want yeah. the record deals to want you. You don't want you to want the record deal." Um, and that's that's also a thing that I think Mark kind of instilled in me. Um, he was just like let them come to you. Like, just make music be really good. And yeah, don't beg people for your, for their attention. And I've always been like that. I never want to tell people that I'm like, Oh yeah, I'm a really good songwriter. Listen to my music. I'd rather just sit on a stool in front of a microphone. And if they like the music, they like it. And if they don't, they don't, but at least people aren't like another person asking me to like their song, you know?
0: Right. And so do you know what next steps are once things open up, especially here in Canada, so that you can go down like with Warner, are they expecting you to sort of be making trips regularly down there to write rather than doing it over Zoom once things get back to a little bit of normal?
1: I think so. I mean, this EP that I'm releasing uh, right now is like me and my friends wrote it. So we're all Canadians, but um, I, I definitely want to get on a radio tour I did right. a virtual one, F-150's at radio in Canada and it's in the top 10 now yeah. and it's at radio in the US but US is like a different ballpark when it comes to like you're at radio for a very long period of time until right. you start inching up. <laughs> so um, I did a virtual one but I really wanna go see people in person and be like, I am Robin Ottolini, hear me out here and show people um, instead of just the label having to tell people, I want to, you know, I want to do the work. Like you said, once a label jumps on, that's when the work begins. Um, So that's definitely in the process and maybe a few festivals. I might be announcing something soon.
0: Awesome. New
1: music. Um, I definitely, I think going to Nashville and doing some interviews and, and things with the community there is definitely in the books too, but we're just waiting on visa and vaccine.
0: You released or you didn't release it. You put up on social media, the song numb that you had written. And it was something that you didn't know if you were going to do because it's very personal in sort of, I don't know if it's anxiety, but you talk about emotionally shutting down in certain situations and at certain times. And so for you, what does that look like within your music and being an artist?
1: Um, like I said, I feel a lot. I feel almost everything. And I think that's what makes me a really good singer songwriter and artist. Um, because I can take all of these emotions that sometimes are like, not even real. Like I wrote a song, I have anxiety. My therapist told me I have it. It's real. Um, and I just think people don't like me. I always think people hate me. And so like, I even Manifested a whole song out of it. I was like, this one person who I met this one time is probably talking shit about me. Why did I think that? I don't know, but I wrote a whole song about it. So I think feeling everything makes me a really good artist. But also, when you feel everything, I think sometimes your brain shuts it off Mm -hmm. to self preserve. I mean, you can only feel so much until you're emotionally shut down. Yeah. So for me, I usually, it's usually more for personal life and not so much um my music life but I remember at that time it was post-pandemic correct pandemic had started when I posted it
0: yeah
1: and I was just like what Mark had said or or what I had said about Mark is like I shut down I got really sad and I felt numb and what I do to protect myself is I just shut off and I go numb and I don't feel anything and in the song it kind of just describes like I wish I could feel right now because that's what I'm good at doing. I'm good at feeling and creating. And the fact that I'm numb means I can't, but yeah. So I think it's a, it's a coping mechanism that I do and I'm trying to not have to use it and I'm in therapy and I don't want to emotionally shut down. I want to feel everything, the good and the bad, but yeah, it's a, it's a very hard thing to do, especially when you get constant comments all the time on social media and everything. it's just hard. And there's the people dying in the world right now. And it's very scary. And there's a lot of mistrust from people and it's all very overwhelming. And I think just because I feel so much, I'm feeling everything. And it's that's where that song came from.
0: Yeah. It's so hard, right? Especially this day and age, dealing with anxiety in this world. Like, it's just such another ballpark, I think, because of all the information and everything that we have coming at us every day, it just, it kills that anxiety. It just builds and builds and builds on top of it. Right.
1: And it's insane. I'm like, I'm a very much a people pleaser. I want people to be happy. I want to do my best and be my best all the time. And it's so impossible. And that's what I'm learning. Like you cannot and you will never please everybody. And that's so hard for me to accept because when you're a waitress, it's pretty easy to please everybody if you're just really good at your job. So you do really good. But when it comes to music, it's subjective. What I think is like the coolest song, somebody else will be like, "Eh, I don't like that. And I think being an artist, I'm like slowly learning that like I will never please anybody. I just have to please me. And like my team and my inner circle, as my therapist calls it, I have like four people in my inner circle, as long as they're happy, screw everybody else. (laughs) But social media definitely makes it a lot harder when people are constantly like, you seem like this and you're this, and this isn't funny and, and you're ugly. And you're just like, are they right? But then you got to go to your inner circle and be like, Hey, am I ugly? And they go, no. And I'm just like, Oh, okay. Cool, cool, cool." Um, yeah, no. Anxiety is hard.
0: Yeah. And how important is that inner circle going to be when you eventually do go to Nashville? Because I imagine that's going to be a pretty big culture shock for you in being in that environment all of a sudden. So that could be an environment where that anxiety just like shoots higher than you've ever had it. Right. Because all of a sudden you're around pretty much everyone in Nashville wants to be a musician the best musicians out there live there. So that's going to be a crazy environment for you.
1: It's very difficult. But again, I think it's kind of nice that I got signed during a pandemic because I can process all these emotions while I still live with the most important people in my life. And like so many times I'll be like, I don't deserve this. I'm not good enough. I will never be good enough. Like look at Marin Morris, look at Casey Musgraves. They're so amazing. And then Mark and Eric will look at me and be like, yeah, but so are you and you make really good music nobody can write like you can nobody can do this like you can and so like if I'm not the best vocalist who cares if I'm not the best at this who cares like nobody can do me and I I think I find solace in that so when I am surrounded by the best of the best I'll be like they're all amazing and I appreciate all their talents but I'm also talented I'm also allowed to be at this table and I think Yeah, it comes with like, you have to be confident in yourself, especially in this industry. If you stop believing in yourself, you're already losing.